but it's so good this morning to know that the cares of this life, the, the burdens we feel, our, both our sins and our sufferings, Lord, we can cast them upon you. Lord, that you can carry them. We admit that they overwhelm us. We admit that we cannot live without you. We cannot handle our own lives. Lord, the burdens are too heavy. And so this morning we are so thankful that you're a God who is so much bigger, so much vaster than all of our troubles and all of our worries. God, would you guide us to a place this morning where we're, we're able to just rest in you. We're actually able to breathe in deep and know that you're a father who loves us. That we can rest in your hands. God, this morning we ask that you would transform us, that you would both use your word to open up our need, show us that our need is so deep, but yet at the same time, Lord, lead us through your word to yourself, that we might find the answer in you, that we might find all that we've ever been looking for in you, the one true living God. Lord, as always, we humbly submit to your word, believing that it is you who has spoken to us, that it is you that we need to hear from. Lord, we, we just want to be clay in your hands. Would you mold us as the potter? We submit to you now. It's in Jesus' name that we worship and pray. Amen. Maybe seated. As you're taking your seat, I want to invite you to uh, open up your Bible to Psalm 109. Psalm 109. 109. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we'll, we'll have it on the screen as, as we read along. Uh, so you can follow along that way as well. Okay, Psalm 109. To the choir master, a psalm of David. Be not silent, O God of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are open against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. And let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. For he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and needy and the brokenhearted to put them to death. He loved to curse. Let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing. May it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing as his coat. May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. May it be like a garment that he wraps around him, like a belt that he puts on every day. May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, of those who speak evil against my life. 
But you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake. Because your steadfast love is good, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken within me. I am gone like a shadow at evening. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. My body has become gaunt with no fat. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. Help me, O Lord my God. Save me according to your steadfast love. Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you will bless. They arise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. May my accusers be clothed with dishonor. May they be wrapped in their own shame as in a cloak. With my mouth I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise Him in the midst of the throng. For He stands at the right hand of the needy one to save Him from those who condemn His soul to death. This is the Word of the Lord. Uh, Larry Nasser. Larry Nasser was a former USA Gymnastics doctor who was sentenced to 175 years in prison for sexual assault. If you know anything about this case or, or Larry Nasser, you know uh, that he did things that were despicable. The judge who presided over Larry Nasser's trial said something that I just cannot get out of my head. Uh, in the statements from the judge, she started her statement by saying to him, it is my honor and privilege to sentence you. And when I heard that, I wanted to say hallelujah. I was so glad that this criminal was going to spend the rest of his life in prison. And I was thrilled, I was overjoyed that this judge found it to be her honor and her privilege to sentence him. See, justice is good and right and necessary. We all have a deep longing for justice inside of us. But that's what creates a big problem in life. See, we all have things that happen to us. We all have ways in which we are sinned against, and it doesn't seem like anyone ever has to pay for it. It seems like we're slighted, and yet, and yet it doesn't feel like justice is served. And so here's the big question that we're asking for today. How does our faith in God help us when others sin against us? How does our faith in God help us when others sin against us? See, what we're going to see from this psalm, from Psalm 109, is that our desire for justice is a good thing. But the burden to seek vengeance on our own is also relieved from us because there is a God in heaven who is the judge of the universe. And we can know that this God, because he loves us, he will make all the wrongs done to us right. He will bring about justice in our lives. Uh, over the last few weeks, we started something where we, we want to every, every Sunday, we want to have a question for the kids. It's an opportunity for families to talk about these things over lunch or on the way home or, or over dinner. And so this morning, in, in a similar way, our kids are actually going to be learning the same truths that we're going to be learning about here uh, this morning as well. Uh, the question for the kids that Jenna came up with for this week is, what do we do when others treat us badly? And I think we would all agree that that's something that our kids need to learn, right? What do we do when others treat us badly? But I think we would also admit that this is not just something that our kids need to learn. This is something that we need to learn. How many times have, yes, we've been wrong, but then we respond 
with wrong and kind. How many times have we been sinned against, but then we turn around and sin as a response? Psalm 109 is here to take us on a journey that transforms us from, yes, seeing that justice is good. And there are times in life when it is good for us to be angry, but it aims our expression for justice towards the one who can actually bring about justice. And that is the one true and living God. So as we work through Psalm 109, we're going to encounter six steps along this journey, six steps along the journey uh, this morning. The first is this. The first is that we see our need for justice. We see our need for justice. Uh, Let's start by rereading verses 1 through 5. David prays. He says, Be not silent, O God of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are open against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Uh, Here at Palmetto Shores Church, we we talk a lot about our own sin. Uh, Normally, that's that's what we're talking about is, is the sin we commit. Why? Because the most important thing in life is for us to be made right with God. There could be nothing more important than that, for us to deal with our own sin. But the reality is that although we are all sinners, we have also all been sinned against. So how do we define being sinned against? Well, being, being sinned against is simple. Anytime, something does something to us, anytime someone does something to us that breaks God's law, in that moment we have been sinned against. So someone lies about us, someone deceives us, someone, someone steals from us, or someone commits some criminal offense, offense against us. That is being sinned against. So yes, while we're all sinners, we've also all been sinned against. And what we see in this passage is is that it's even worse when the people who are sinning against us are people that we've been good towards and people whom we have loved. Look at how David says this in verse 5. He says, So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. It is never right when we are sinned against, but man, it hurts worse when the people who are sinning against us are people that we've been good towards, people that we have loved. But what really draws out our need for justice is the gap that is created by what seems to be God's current silence. Look at verse 1, the very first thing David says. Be not silent, O God of my praise. David finds himself in what we might call the justice gap. David's not being insincere. No, David is going to God and he's saying, God, you are the God of my praise. You are the God I worship. You are the God that I have trusted. And and I know that you can see what's happening in my life. I know that you can see that what's happening to me is wrong. So God, why are you silent? Why aren't you doing something? Why, Why aren't you coming to my defense? David finds himself in the justice gap. Uh, Here's one way to think of the justice gap. Uh, Maybe you've gone in on on something with a group of other people before where you all had to pay a little bit. And you said, hey, I'll I'll put it on my card and then you all can pay me back. And so swipe, the charge is on your card. And now you have to wait. Will your friends come through? Will they pay up? And time starts to pass, time starts to go by, and you start to wonder, they've let me down in the past. Am I going to have to just take the charge again? There's a gap between what was promised and what seems to be fulfilled. 
And, and what we see in Psalm 109 is that is exactly where David finds himself. He knows that God has promised justice. He knows that God is a righteous judge. But at this moment in his life, it doesn't feel like God is coming through for him. And the church will, will always find herself in the midst of this justice gap from now until the end of the age. Why? Because God's final justice hasn't happened yet. But it's not just the church and it's not just Christians who experience this. Every single person who's ever lived has experienced the justice gap. Why? Because although God has promised justice, He hasn't brought it uh, finally about yet. And so we all live in this place where we need justice. And we're all going to seek it from somewhere. And that's why in verse 4, David tells us where he's seeking justice. He says, In return for my love they accuse me, but I... Give myself to prayer. See, David does have a need for justice, and he finds himself in the midst of this justice gap, but he is able to turn to God in the midst of his need for justice, to cry out to God, because he knows that God is a judge who will eventually make all things right. And that leads to our next step on the journey. So second this morning, we see our desire for justice. We see our desire for justice. So David's been sinned against. He turns to give himself in prayer to God. And the first thing he does in his prayer is he just begins to vent his desire for justice. We'll read verses 6 through 15. So this is David's prayer to God. He says, Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any pity to his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. I think it would be safe to say that David has a desire for justice. And we've all been there before in one way or another. Someone sinned against us. Someone slighted us. Someone's hurt us. And that feeling, that desire for them to pay, it rises up. That desire for justice rises up within us. It could be something small to something big, deep, and wounding. And so the question always comes up with a psalm like this. Is it right for David to pray like this? Is this right? For David to go to God and, and, and pray and vent his desire for justice like this. Well, what I'm going to argue is that as a step along this journey, yes. As a step along this journey, yes. And I want to give you three reasons why. The first reason is that we're going to see there's, there is a legitimate cause for David praying this prayer. Uh, and, and then the second reason we're going to see is that this isn't the only thing that David prays. And then the third thing I want to show you is that uh, David is praying God's own truth back to him. But let's take those things one at a time, all right? One, two, three. I want to try to argue why I think it's right that David prays this way. So the first one we said um, is that David has a legitimate cause. Look at verse 16. 
Verse 16 says, For, he's talking, still talking about this person, for he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted to put them to death. So this isn't just some sort of personal vendetta. David isn't just upset because somebody, you know, tiffed him. No. David is looking out and he, and he is seeing someone who is pursuing poor, needy, and brokenhearted people, and that person is putting them to death. That is what, got, what has David angry. That's what has the desire for justice rising up within him. Most of us uh, weren't alive when the attack on Pearl Harbor happened in 1941. Uh, but there's a reason why the United States finally engaged in World War II after Pearl Harbor. You know, when someone comes and they bomb your ships and they kill your people, there's this desire for justice that, that wells up inside. And I think it's probably that same kind of spirit that many of us remember when the attacks on 9-11 happened. Right? When, when, when others kill peep, innocent people, you, you just have this desire for justice that wells up inside of you. Almost ev- everyone, almost all of us wanted whoever was responsible to pay. When David expresses, when he vents his desire for justice in this way, he has a legitimate cause. He's looking at someone who's killing other people, and he's saying, I want this person to pay. Uh, The second reason I I told you I think this is right for David to pray pray this way is because this is not the only thing he prays. As we're going to see, he goes on a journey. He doesn't just stop in this place. If David only ever prayed like this, then that would be a problem. If, If he got stuck at this spot in the journey, then it would be really unhealthy. But as we're going to see, this is a journey that he's on. But then the third and I think most important uh, reason that it's right for David to to pray this way is because David is simply praying God's truth back to him. Uh, David is simply praying God's own word back to God. And that's what makes this a legitimate prayer. Uh, I want you to think about it like this. Uh, Some of us live in HOA communities. I live in an HOA HOA community. Uh, If you live in an HOA community, you know, there's these certain rules that you have to uphold. And if you break the rules, there's, there's a consequence. And that's sort of how the thing works, all right? Uh, so recently, I, I get a little letter in the mail, and it's, uh, you know, a little warning, you know, from the HOA that I haven't power washed my house, all right? So am I annoyed? Yes. Is it legitimate? Yes, right? I, I chose to live there. I, I signed up for the contract, and, and, and it is what it is. Now, what wouldn't be all right, what wouldn't be appropriate is if I didn't power wash my house, and one of the HOA board members came over with a can of spray paint and wrote, you need to wash this on the side of my house. That would not be okay. That's not how this works. We look at a psalm like Psalm 109, and we're tempted to think David is just sort of flying off the handle here. David is sort of just taking things into his own hand. He's just dreaming up in his most wildest dreams, the worst possible things he could think of. But that's not, that is actually not what's happening here. David actually knows God's word. Uh, if you want to take the time later this after, afternoon to read Deuteronomy chapter 28, David is simply taking God's own word and he's praying it back to him. God had said, if my people disobey me in these certain ways, these are going to be the consequences. And David is simply saying, God, you said that if if people disobey you in these ways, then this is the consequences. So I'm simply praying that you would follow through on what you said. So is it right for David to pray this way? I I think yes. And, And I'll go further and say this. I think that it's right for us to learn to pray like this as well. Here's what I fear. What I fear 
is that if we neglect certain prayers in the Bible because they make us uncomfortable, then what we'll end up doing in response to injustice is in responding in less helpful or even in sinful ways instead. So we say, I can't believe that David would ever pray a prayer like this. But then we turn around and we gossip about somebody instead. And we say, wow, I mean, I just could never pray a prayer like this. But then we turn around and take matters into our own hands and we seek vengeance according to our own standard. So maybe this prayer makes us uncomfortable, but we really have to honestly ask ourselves, do we handle our anger any better? Now, this psalm is actually giving us a pathway to learn how to process our desire for justice with God. What we have to receive is that this psalm is not in the Bible by accident. This is not a mistake. Uh, When we pray prayers like this, certainly it should be in proportion to what's happening in our lives. Right? If somebody takes my parking spot at Target and I curse them so that their children will be beggars for the rest of their life, I think I have stepped out of line. It's time for me to get a grip. But there are real legitimate evils in this world. And God is inviting us to express our heart and desire for justice to Him. And my fear is that if we don't, then we'll end up taking matters into our own hands and it will be worse than if we had just followed in God's path for transformation from a psalm like Psalm 109. And that leads to our next step along the journey. And so third this morning, third, we see our appeal for justice, our appeal for justice. Verses 17 through 20 say, He loved to curse, let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing, may it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing as a coat, May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. May it be like a garment that wraps around him, like a a belt that he puts on every day. May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, of those who speak evil against my life. So the first thing we see about David's appeal is that it's an appeal for fairness. He's simply saying, hey, if this is what this guy was all about, then I just want the same thing to happen to him in return. David's just saying, I just want it to be fair. But then the most important thing that we see about David's appeal is not what he's appealing, but who he's appealing to. When verse 20 says, May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord. It shows us that David is appealing to God as the judge. Uh, See, there's, there's a lot of times in life when you and I get angry about the right things. That there are things in life that we ought to be angry about. There are things in life that that shouldn't have happened to us. But the problem is, though we are angry about the right things, we end up expressing it in the wrong ways. Yes, we are sinned against, but then we turn around and sin in response. Yes, we are wronged, but then we turn around and wrong in response. What's happening when we do that? Well, what's happening is we're playing God. We're not trusting that He is the judge, and so we feel like we have to be the judge. And this is unhelpful, and even even our own uh, law course understand this. I want you to imagine someday that while we're here, you're you're at church right now, uh, while you're here, somebody goes to your house, they break in your house, and they steal something from you. You get home this afternoon after lunch, whatever, you walk in the door, and, and some items are missing. 
But, but here's something else that you find. They dropped their driver's license in your living room floor. Now, here's what you can't do in that moment. You can't jump in your car, type in their address on your GPS, drive over to their house and say, they stole something from me, I'm stealing something from them. No, life doesn't work that way. Even in the law of our land, it doesn't work that way because we all know that we don't have the ability to be the judge. What do we have to do? We have to appeal to the authorities to be the judge. And so when David is praying here, he's essentially saying, God, I know I'm not God, but I know you are God. And that's why I'm coming to you and I'm asking for you to do something about this. I'm asking for you to give justice because only you can give justice. In Romans chapter 12, verses 19 19 through 21, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what's the logic? What's the logic of what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12? Here's what he's saying. It is precisely because God will repay that you and I are freed from needing to repay. It is precisely because God will pour out his wrath that you and I can push the burden of getting vengeance off of our shoulders and entrust it to God. That you and I can actually be transformed into people who do good to our enemies, who love our enemies, who pray for those who persecute us. Why? Because we have appealed to the God of justice. We've appealed to the God who says, vengeance is mine and I will repay. We can go on this transformative journey Once we learn that that there is a judge, and it's not me, it's God. Now, David won't completely leave these themes behind in the rest of the psalm, but I think starting in verse 21, we're definitely going to see a major transition in his journey, uh, in, in David's own personal journey. And so forth today, we see our basis for justice. We see our basis for justice. Verse 21 says, But you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake. Because your steadfast love is good, deliver me. So David grounds his appeal for justice in two bases. He grounds his appeal for justice in two bases. First, he appeals for justice for the sake of God's glory. David is saying, God, when you bring about justice, when you come down and you make wrongs right, It declares to the world that you are the righteous one. It declares to the world that you are all wise. It declares to the world that you are actually the one who's in control. And I want you to be glorified. While I'm in the midst of this justice gap, it seems like you're being belittled. It seems like people are questioning, could God really be good? Could God really be loving? If all these bad things are happening, what does this mean about God? David feels the tension of the justice gap. And he's saying, God, I want you to come through for me so that your reputation will be upheld, so that everybody will see and know that you are the one true and living God. But then he also grounds his appeal for justice in God's steadfast love. 
a few weeks ago, we started a series on the love of God. And I think if we're all honest, you, you come to a psalm like Psalm 109, and you kind of think to yourself, is this an outlier? You know, how, how could a psalm like this come in a, in a series on the love of God? What we're seeing through Psalm 109 is that it is because God loves us that His justice is for us rather than against us. It is only because of God's love that His justice is for us rather than against us. See, the only reason... (laughs) that you and I can rejoice in the fact that God, God is the judge and not be terrified by the fact that God is the judge is because God has revealed that He loves us. If it weren't for His love, we would be terrified. See, the reality is we all deserve to know God as the judge who is against us. We all deserve to be condemned by God the judge. But that's the good news of Christianity. That's why we're here this morning. That's why this church exists. Because of Jesus Christ, those who were God's enemies become God's friends. Because of Jesus Christ, those who were strangers are welcomed into God's family. And it isn't that God ceases to be the judge. It simply means that when we come up under the grace of Jesus Christ, God's justice goes from being against us as deserved condemned criminals to being for us as children of the family. Uh, My dad and I have been to a lot of Major League Baseball games over the years. Uh, Sort of a a fun thing, that a father-son thing that he and I have done uh, since I was a kid. And uh, one of the games we went to a few years ago is really odd. In like the middle of the third or fourth inning, the starting pitcher for one of the teams was doing really good, but they all of a sudden just took him out of the game. And so after the game in the car on the way home, we were kind of trying to figure out what happened. And, and, and we, we, we did a little research and found out that the player was taken out of the game because he had been traded. That he went from being on the team to no longer being on the team. And I tried to look up uh, who it was, but I actually found something better instead. Uh, On May 30th, 1922, Max Flack and Cliff Heathcote were traded in the middle of a doubleheader to the opposing teams. So in the morning, they played against each other for the Cubs and the Cardinals, and then that afternoon, they played against each other again, but they had simply swapped jerseys. Guys, when we place our faith in Jesus, God transfers us out of the kingdom of darkness, and in an instant, He places us in the kingdom of his, of his beloved son. And God goes from being the judge who is against us to now being the judge who is for us. The one who we were enemies with, the one who we should have been afraid of, is now the very one who has promised us that he will make all the wrongs in our life right. When we become a Christian, we place our faith in Jesus. We admit We say, yes, I deserve the condemnation of God. I deserve for the judge to be against me. But this is my hope, the steadfast love of the Lord. 
And because of his steadfast love for me, I can know that his justice isn't against me. His justice is actually for me. Now, after basing his appeal for justice in God's glory and in God's steadfast love, David continues his transforming journey. And so our fifth stop this morning is our hope for justice. Our hope for justice. Verses 22 through 25, David continues to pray. He says, For I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken within me. I am gone like a shadow at evening. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. My body has become gaunt with no fat. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. To put our desire for justice in God's hands is an act of faith. We must come to the end of ourselves. We must come to the point where we realize we've exhausted every other option and the only one who could truly give us justice is God. And so this is an act of faith. And that act of faith is demonstrated for us through David's prayer as he continues in 26 through 29. This is the prayer of faith. This is what it looks like for us to release our desire for justice and trust that desire with God. David says, help me, O Lord my God. Save me according to your steadfast love. Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you will bless. They arise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. May my accusers be clothed with dishonor. May they be wrapped in their own shame as a cloak. What David is praying for is for God to do what only God could do. And what David is praying for is for God to do what he has promised that he will do. See, all throughout the Bible, the scriptures are clear that there is a final judgment coming. At the end of history, there will be a day in which God judges the earth by his son, Jesus Christ. And on that day, there will be a great reversal. That there will be many, many, many who put their trust in Jesus, who were harmed, belittled, persecuted. And on that day, they will receive the reversal of glory. And there will be many, many, many who lived their best life, who absolutely took advantage of everyone around them, who sinned against others repeatedly, and who rejected God's offer for salvation. And they will experience a great reversal as well. Uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible that displays God's uh, plan for justice is in the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, we're introduced to a, a character named Haman. Uh, Haman is the king's official. Uh, he's, he's sort of the king's right-hand man. And Haman hates the Jews. And in particular, he hates one Jew whose name was Mordecai. And so Haman actually had these gallows built so that Mordecai would be hanged from the gallows. Uh, Haman goes into the king to request for Mordecai to be hanged from these gallows. But what he doesn't know is that Mordecai had actually saved the king's life. And the king is planning to do something great for Mordecai. And so he has no idea that when the king asks him this question, 
He's actually talking about Mordecai, and he's not talking about himself. And so here's where we pick up in, in Esther chapter 6. It says, So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be be brought which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave nothing out that you have mentioned. Haman ends up having to do for Mordecai what he was hoping that the king would do for him. But the reversal doesn't even stop there. When the king finds out what Haman's plans were with the gallows that he was planning to hang Mordecai, he ends up having Haman hanged on the very gallows that Haman built for Mordecai. These little pictures that the Bible gives us all throughout God's Word are small little glimpses of God's reversal of justice. This is what David is talking about when he prays in verse 28. They arise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. In the midst of the justice gap, David can see the future by faith. He understands that God is going to bring about final justice. And on that day, there will be a great reversal. And so knowing that this great reversal is coming means that you and I do not have to sin in response to being sinned against. We don't have to exact wrongs from everyone who has wronged us. We don't have to make everyone pay who has done something to hurt us. And while we find ourselves in the midst of the justice gap, we cling to the promise. We cling to the same exact vision that David did, that God will bring about a great reversal. And that brings us to our final stop along the journey. And so lastly this morning, we encounter our response to justice our response to justice. Verses 30 and 31 say, With my mouth I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise Him in the midst of the throng, for He stands at the right hand of the needy one to save Him from those who condemn His soul to death. The reason that we give great thanks to the judge, the reason that we give great thanks to God is because while we deserve to have God's justice against us, the promise for all those who've put their faith in Jesus is that God's justice will be for us. See, the the Bible does not teach karma. Christianity does not teach karma. With karma, there is no one to give thanks to because you are simply getting what you are owed. But David knows that that's not how this works. David knows that what he deserves is to have God's justice against him. But because of God's steadfast love, he knows that God's justice is for him. We deserved for God's justice to be against us, but we 
give thanks and praise to our God because He's transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His beloved Son. And He stands at our defense. Uh, so as we wrap things, things up this morning, I just want to talk to you. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, um, we love you. We're so glad you're here. Uh, that you're interested in hearing God's word, hearing what God has to say. Um, I know that you have been sinned against in a lot of ways. But I also know that you have committed many, many sins. And what the Bible clearly teaches is that if we reject God's offer of salvation, if we reject placing our faith in Jesus and repenting of our sins, we will have to pay for our sins. God's justice will come down upon us. But this is the good news of Christianity. That God's Son, Jesus Christ, came into this world and He died for sinners. That for anyone who would place their faith in Jesus, He took the payment that they deserved. He took God's justice on their behalf. So if you're here today and you know you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, I don't want you to have to pay for your sins. And here's the wonder of it. That if you turn to Jesus, all your sins, past, present, and future, are acquitted. And now you have the judge on your side. Not only is God's justice no longer against you, now God's justice is for you. That every wrong done to you, he will make it right. And I know that you long for justice. I know that you crave justice. I know that you desire justice. But it can only be found in God. And it will only be found for those who place their faith in Jesus. And then for all of us here today. Yes, we are all sinners. But we've also all been sinned against. And for some of us, what that means is that we have become very angry people. We may not even realize how angry we've become. It comes out in how we gossip about others. It comes out in how we push other people around. It comes out in how we talk to our spouse or our kids. But we've just become so angry and so bitter. Why? Well, probably because we have a good reason to be angry. But unfortunately, time and time again, we've expressed our anger in ways that just repeat the cycle of dysfunction. We hurt other people because we've been hurt. But this psalm, Psalm 109, it, it takes us on a journey where, yes, we are able to side with God and admit that the things that have been done to us, they're wrong, that it's not right. But this psalm leads us to trust God with the things that aren't right. And by the end of this psalm, David is led to praise and thank God. Why? Because there is a just judge who will repay. That in us stepping back from executing our anger, we're not sweeping evil under the rug. We step back because only God can truly be the judge. And this is what I know. 
Uh, some of us here today, we have been hurt and wounded in ways that no one should ever be hurt or wounded. People close to us who should have loved us, people close to us who have abandoned us, people who have wounded us in ways that we feel like we can never recover from. And, and it can feel like we're right there in that gap, that nothing's ever going to be done about this, that it seems like no one's ever going to have to own up. And, and here I am just broken in my, my anger. I pray that you'll leave here today knowing and believing that God promises you that he will make it right. No one is more committed to delivering you justice than God. And so because of his steadfast love, yes, this is a sermon about the love of God, that because of his steadfast love, God's justice is no longer against us. Rather, his justice is for us. And that transforms us to want to give thanks and praise to this one true living God. So once again, we can join the psalmist and say, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. God, we all know that there have been so many times in our lives when our anger has spiraled out of control or we haven't responded in healthy ways where we've sinned against others in response to being sinned against. And Lord, the burden of trying to maintain all the scores and the burden of hurting all the people around us just because we've been hurt. Lord, it's, it's overwhelming. It's too much for us. And so, God, today we turn to you and we ask that you would heal us with the truth of who you are, with the truth that, that you are the good, right, and just judge. Would that release us from the burden of feeling the need to get vengeance? God, would we be able to see as we look at how you've loved us, when we look at how you've transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of your beloved Son, would we be able to see that when you set your love upon us, it comes with all your other wonderful benefits, your goodness, your mercy, your faithfulness, and, Lord, your justice. God, would we be able to praise you and thank you that you are the righteous one. You are the judge that we bow before God, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you've spoken to us this morning. We pray that it would transform our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.